0: Welcome to Sticks and Taps, where the conversation is hockey and the keg is always cold. The games will really be on soon, so let's step up to the bar, grab a pint, and get into it. Your hosts, Paul Cuthbert and Liam Maguire. Sláinte, fellas, and don't forget to pay your tabs. Uh, thank you so much, Seamus, as always, for that wonderful introduction. And uh, I brought a few shillings with me. I'll try and square up with you later. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of Sticks and Taps, Thursday, May 28th, 2020. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert here in the great state of New York. And ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your maid and mine, Mr. Liam McGuire. How are you, sir? How's she going? She's going grand, man. How about yourself? And a belated happy birthday on air to you, <laughs> my friend. I hear that Ottawa will never be the same after last weekend.
1: Well, I didn't make it too far into the city, but, uh, but it was two days befitting of, um, of a Liam McGuire celebration, not quite my 50th where, uh, which was the biggest party in the history of the (laughs) rules, which also lasted two days, but included, included several arrests. But, uh, this one here was a little tamer and a little smaller, obviously with the, uh, restrictions, but we had a great time and was able to celebrate a little bit with family and, uh, and um, can't see my mom obviously, but uh, I was able to see one of my brothers, and uh, I was able to see the kids and celebrate a little bit with family, and and had a had a great time with uh, with a few friends later as well on the uh, on the Friday and the Saturday, and and my girlfriend uh, Tracy did an outstanding uh, outstanding job helping set up a few things too, and uh, beautiful cake and things like that. So it was it was great, pal. We, uh, we ripped the tar right off her, as I was just telling you. Saw the sunrise on uh, Sunday morning from the hot tub. It's never a bad thing.
0: <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> Happy days indeed. There, I hear, I hear there's still people serving time from your 50th, though, right? They're still in jail. <laughs> I think so. the last one got
1: out, now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you funny. know, what they had, Polly, was a failure to communicate. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that
0: always the problem? If we could just... Learn to communicate oh, a little man. better with each other. <laughs> I'll tell Dude. you what, that was, uh,
1: you know, we had 344 people for dinner. We had about another eight, 900 come in after. We sold 66 cases of beer in four and a half hours. So we were drinking pretty much straight rye and whiskey. So that's why things got a little rangy. But um, it was, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, about 10 days after that, we marched into the, um, Ottawa Civic Hospital and gave them a check for $2,500 for the, uh, specifically to the intensive care unit, the ICU that kept our dear friend, Mike Doyle alive for 20 hours. A lot of us got in to see him wow. before he passed away, courtesy of, uh, uh, I mean, he had a terrible tragic snowmobile accident and that, that, uh, that machinery kept him alive that we were able to get in and, and, uh, say some goodbyes to him and, um, so I donated every net dollar, uh, from that thing, which ended up being 2,500 bucks. It was, you would have loved it as a musician and a guy used to, um, a stage and that sort. we had a live band. We had a jib arm camera rolling around over the entire crowd shooting live video on a 14 foot screen.
2: Oh wow. That's <laughs> awesome.
1: Oh yeah, man. It was something else. Spider Jones flew in from Toronto and with his wife, Jackie, and they spoke and, uh, yeah, it was it was it was a pretty uh, pretty special celebration by uh, by uh, local standards, especially. Uh, so thankful to be able to give a couple dollars back, and yeah, a few things went a little sideways later on in the evening <laughs> and the next day, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it wouldn't be a party with Liam McGuire involved if it didn't, you know. So absolutely, well, you're a good man, and and we know you throw a hell of a party. Well, like I said, man, uh, happy birthday again to you and. Uh, It's great to to have you here and chat about it and uh, reminisce a little bit. And uh, like I said, Greta, everybody's okay, and that's a great thing that you did there back then. On the 50th, good stuff, man. Well, look, it looks like you got another birthday present this week, man. Uh, Gary Bettman came out and uh, was talking about bringing hockey back this summer. Uh, Big announcement. Uh, Were you surprised? I mean, it was kind of. I mean, leading up, they were talking about there was going to be some kind of announcement and it kind of would come out in the news and everything, but. I think Liam, for me, and I guess maybe all of us as fans, until you actually see an official statement and um, you know uh, the presser with uh, you know Gary and and saying, "Hey, look, this is what we're going to try and do." We know there's a lot of stages to go, but um, I'm myself really excited about this, just because any kind of talk of getting back to any kind of sports means we're getting back to some sort of normalcy. So, uh, what was your take on the on the official announcement the other day?
1: My my take was that I think Gary did the right thing I I think he almost if he wasn't dictated to I think he felt internal or external pressure to try and lay out what would what it would look like I think he wanted to also just sort of assuade some of the rumors that were floating around and confirm that if and when there is hockey uh regular season now 1000 percent officially canceled it will not be played there will be 24 teams playing in in a in a uh in a some sort of play-in type capacity, as and they outlined it with the with the four division leaders playing around Robin for seeding, and then you know the uh, the play-in games whether it be Carolina and the Rangers or Montreal and Pittsburgh, and away you go. He also outlined as we know the draft and how that will look, and whether you feel it's complicated or not. They've made these provisions and they're now in place, and of course everything as usual is dictated will be dictated by whatever the various health organizations and provincial and country and uh, abroad standards are to get players back together and then pick the hub cities and go from there. We're still obviously weeks and weeks and weeks away from ever seeing this particular scenario. But I think he wanted to get in the game and uh, at the very least do something tangible, which is June 26th. So a little less than a month from now, they'll do the draft. And uh, and then if and when hockey's allowed to be played and uh, and the health organizations and there's a way to test the guys and or something else that protocol would suggest that they can go ahead and do it, then we'll we'll have hockey. And that's what it's going to look like. A best of five for your Rangers, a best of five for my Habs and a best of five for everybody else that has to play in that first round other than the round robin teams, uh, the, the the division leaders. So I think he felt he had to do it or was told to or dictated to or or just they they collectively said, OK, it's time to it's time to you know, put the rumors aside and lay it out exactly how it's going to be. That's, that's how I felt it went down.
0: Excellent stuff. Now, I've got the best man to ask this question to. A couple of quick questions here on this, uh, the NHL historian that you are. Um, as far as the regular season is concerned, um and how you would look back on this and you know it is what it is but just curious to know just your general take on uh you know how they they closed out where everything was you know given the divisions away as far as the all the um you know the annual trophy awards the awards and everything else and stuff that they've they've handed out and everything else um under the circumstances that's that's something that you, you think they've kind of handled you, you know it, as best as they could and and how that may be uh, relates to previous records or you know um, you know these trophies being handed out in, in years past
1: <clears throat> well you know everybody played at least 68 games so that's more games in either of the two lockout seasons okay where they played 48 and there's no asterisks for for those ones and so as far as I'm concerned uh, has a historian and has a guy who hangs his hat on you know take taking this stuff pretty seriously especially the the major award winners and things of that nature. I've got no problem with it. I, I really don't. I mean, Dreisaitl becomes the first German to win the Art Ross. Uh, fantastic. I mean, no one's going to catch him anyway, but I mean, you know, the Rocket Richard would have been obviously a, a real race to the end. And 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 there, there's different things that might've been affected somewhat, but at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to change. Probably whoever was going to, they'll, they'll ultimately give the Norris to or, or or some some of the other awards along those lines i i've got I've got no problem with it, Pauly. you know maybe it's my age, <laughs> even though the, the old odometer just rolled over here recently as we just discussed i i don't I don't have this you know it's it just see you're, you go on social media, which of course didn't exist fifteen years ago, really almost in any format, so you had to do it the old fashioned way to talk or gripe if you had a problem with it but now that everybody has the availability by, by trying to um, stammer out a couple of sentences or 250 characters and make a comment. And most comments are negative, and most people want to be negative. It just suits their agenda. They're negative people to begin with, and, and they're doubly so when they have a chance to spew their garbage publicly. So they, most people are negative. I, I'm, I just find I've, I've lost that interest. I'm looking at it right now, starving for hockey because I live for the sport. I mean, it's been my life as far back as I can remember. I cannot remember any time in my life when I didn't gravitate to hockey. Obviously, as a youth, it was hockey night in Canada. That's all we had. But as soon as I, I mean, I pleaded with my dad at seven to get me skates, and I got skates, but he wouldn't let me sign up that year. He didn't let me sign up till the next year till I was eight. He probably only did it to shut me up. And, and uh, I mean, ho- hockey, I lived for hockey. We had 6 a.m. practices. I used to sleep in my equipment. You've heard those stories? I was that kid. And, and uh, you know, so to not have it for this length of time and not have the playoffs right now, and, and, yeah, you want your team there or your favorite players. But at the end of the day, I mean, I'm watching the playoffs regardless. And so to not have it, so to not have hockey. So to me, everything they're doing, uh, however they're going to award it right now, fair enough. However you're going to roll out hockey, fair enough. If, if the health organizations deem that certain restrictions and travel and gatherings are okay and the NHL takes what they feel are the proper precautions and the players' union and the players who have to compete and attend as well as all the support staff are in agreement and they go, then rock on. I'm all in. I'll be watching. I don't care if it's 40 degrees you know, Celsius. And, and and I'm sweating bullets as long as I can watch whatever game is being played I, I don't care so bring it on and give the awards to whoever I I, I have no asterisk there for me whatsoever Polly they played enough of the season to determine pretty much everything legit as far as I am concerned and and uh, both doesn't matter because in 1995 and in 2013 they did it they did all the same thing on 48 games. so you know what this is 20 more games so it's uh it's more than more than good enough for me,
2: yeah,
0: great stuff, yeah, I agree with you, and as far as the you know I'm with you, man, like you know you take you know once we get there and they drop the puck and this thing happens or whatever, fans, no fans, whatever, however it gets done um the format uh we we'll just wanna get your take on the format, and obviously you know when I th- when I, you know I think anybody that talks asterisk next to the Stanley cup uh whoever wins this thing if it does end up going uh full boat here. Uh, is ridiculous because if you put this, you know, if this thing gets underway as it is, and I think it's a masterful tournament, the best way that they could put it together, uh, you know, you've got eight other teams now that, that, that have a chance at this because respectively where they were in the standings at the end of the year, so that's good stuff. Um, they've give, g- given credit to the top eight teams, you know, combined both conferences in terms of uh, the first round and, and the reseeding and everything, and then they're going to give everybody else a chance here to to play these best of fives in the, in the first round, which is just great hockey. So um, it's all good. So I just wanted to get your take on um, the tournament that they put together. I mean, all of us from growing up playing, we've all played in these tournaments as kids, these types of brackets. Um, we all love the, the World Junior you know, championships. Um, you know, the Olympics, all this kind of format. So you look at this, you've got the greatest players in the world right here in North America, and they're going to go and play for the, you know, the best trophy in the world. And like I said, knock on wood, and everybody's healthy, and we get through this, and we get to Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, I think this is super. Um, I think this will be a nice little, uh, you know, change of everything. You know, I mean, we're so used to the norm in which we definitely want to get back to the norm But, man, if you take a bad situation and if this thing kind of plays out to fruition, I think this is going to be pretty fantastic. And whoever wins this tournament, (laughs) you know, definitely deserves to be Stanley Cup champion with the body of work they put in with the 60 to 70 games in the regular season. And then, look, if if you're good enough, you're playing the best teams and this is the best route to go. So just wanted to get your take also on the the format to uh, eventually crown a champion.
1: Well, and I – I was remiss, I guess, maybe not to address it a little bit more um, in detail with the fact that they've expanded this, if you want to call it a playoff run, because they're not right. They're saying that these these eight teams that lose are are going to join the seven that are already not in this play in tournament, and these eight teams, of course, as we know now, will be eligible for the draft and do have by way of a percentage as small as it may be an opportunity to draft first overall. So a lot very similar to previous drafts. And, and I think that's where some people are saying, well, what are the Montreal Canadiens doing there? What are the Chicago Blackhawks doing there? You know, two, I think the two with the least percentage chance that that they had at the time to make a playoffs and, and uh, are now having an opportunity perhaps, you know, to steal a page from the New Jersey Devils in 1995, who were ninth overall after 48 games and then went on to win the Stanley Cup. And could something like that happen again? Well, yeah. I mean, it it could. Uh, but as I said, it, it didn't produce an asterisk in 1995. Like in 2013, Chicago were 1st overall. They had 77 points. No, they, they were first out of everybody in the, in the league. And they, they went on to win the Stanley cup still it was 48 games. But in, in 1995, New Jersey after 48 games were, albeit not, not, you know, horrendously far behind. I mean, Detroit Red Wings were, I think the runaway leaders are right there anyway. And, and, uh, New Jersey was 17 or 18 points back of them after 48 games. Imagine how much it would have been after 80. Yeah. So, or, you know, 82. <clears throat> I mean, it's, so I, I just I just think in terms of the format, I think they've they've done the best that they can. They, they, they sat down and they said, well, how, how can we do it? You can't you know, we and let's be honest, I think we can put the cards on the table here. Montreal and Chicago are also there when they probably considered expanding. They went, um, let's see. Biggest markets. Uh <laughs> already got Toronto TV in. Ratings. You got things TV. We get Chicago in. Let's make sure New York's in. We get Montreal in. And what if one of them happens to win around? Cha ching. And uh, you know, I mean I, I I don't think it's 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 um you know, you have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that the uh that the dollar is driving this to a certain degree. Having said that. By having the 24 teams, you, you have, for the most part, I mean, you could say I saw it today on Twitter, the guy made a good point, you know, man, the Buffalo Sabres, you he he could make a point, you know, that it, 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 it did still ultimately maybe screw somebody, but but they had to draw the line somewhere. And I think maybe they did the math on that and said, Yeah, okay, uh, check please on Montreal, Chicago and uh, Buffalo, it's your turn to wash the dishes. And and uh, you know, again. Which, which and, they've, been and, doing,
0: uh, they've been washing dishes for a long time anyway, buddy. <laughs> come on. Yeah, it doesn't seem
1: to really matter, you know. I mean it's been all downhill really since the French connection, but but then you say, Oh no, they got screwed. They got screwed in ninety nine and they did. That goal should never have counted and they, that that game should have continued and maybe maybe they come back and Force a Game Seven, and and who knows, Hashik was playing out of his mind. Brett Hall was in the crease by a mile, and it forced the rule changes. We know, so they got screwed there, and uh, they've been uh, they've been on some sort of uh, quite a quite a downward roller coaster, really, ever since. But uh, having said that, pal, you know what? Again, I will go back to what I say. Look, you know, there's no perfect solution here. I said to you weeks ago on the show that. If you wanted to take the top 16%, going back, go, like dial it back to 68 games, which I believe was the number that at least all 31 teams had played. Dial it back to that. Take your, take your eight in each conference, winning percentages. There's your playoffs. you got your division leaders and conduct your playoffs accordingly. They've decided not to do that because they said, hey, you know, what if? What if somebody had to come off the mat in those last 11, 12, 13, 14 games, which we've seen numerous times? And they said, "Hey, you know what? We've got to step outside the box here. We're dealing with something we've never had to deal with before. So let's let's step outside the box, give everybody a shot. And if you do lose in the first round, guess what? We got a big carrot dangling for you. Go and line up, you know, in the uh, in the in, in the parade there for for the for the first overall pick. And who knows? Maybe you'll come off the mat there and maybe jump up a bunch of spots or whatever. Who knows?" But uh, there's still a little carrot dangling for you there if you do happen and whether you lose in three, four, or five. And so they make that first round five. Now, how I, as I understand it, as I understand it, uh, they have not determined yet if the second round, if you want to call it that, they're calling that now the official first round of the playoffs, if it would necessarily be a best of seven or not. What I heard is that the semifinal and the final will unequivocally be a best of seven. But there still has to be another round before that. So will that round be a best of seven also? And and really, it goes back to what you just said, Pauly, uh just five minutes ago. <clears throat> Let's just say hypothetically that next round is a best of seven and you've got a best of five and then three best of sevens to determine a Stanley Cup champion. And you did the right thing, bringing in basically every team that had even a smidgen of a mathematical chance pretty much and and uh, and extending it because there were games left in the regular season. I don't see where they did anything wrong to me. I think everything's been done right, and the trophies, the trophies are what the trophies are. If someone's going to cry about that, you you really got a lot of time on your hands, and and just give us some hockey and see what happens. I mean, I I think it's almost virtually impossible to handicap, but uh, uh, you know, if the, if, if 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 there is something where you go, oh my God, can you imagine? But even some of the players have said it. I've seen some of the quotes over the last few weeks, and the various players are going this could be the most contested Stanley cup ever. Cause virtually everybody's going to be a hundred percent healthy. Yep. It's just a question of what level of play you're going to get on the ice, you know, because who knows how many guys are being able to sneak away somehow and get on the ice in any way, shape or form. I don't think many are. And I don't think those even that are, are getting any- anywhere near the reps, it would be conducive to being, so I know they're going to try and do some sort of mini camp and maybe an exhibition game or two. I don't know. I'm sure they're going to try, but, uh, I, I, You know what, Polly, I swear to God, as I sit here right now on May 28th and with that, that announcement now 48 hours old from Batman, I got no problem. No problem with anything. I, I'm telling you right now, Sue, Sticks and Taps is here with you. We talk hockey every week, and, and I'd be the first guy to absolutely bang my fist down, chug whiskey, and scream at the, at the, at the, at the world if I, if I really was pissed off. But I'm not. I'm not. I, I think good on them. I, I think they have thought this through. Organized it on paper, at least to the best of their abilities, and uh, we're we're gonna get what we're gonna get, and and uh, God willing, it happens. I I really think that's just the biggest question mark here because <laughs> there's no way. I mean, when right? We're we're weeks and weeks away, weeks probably still at least maybe two months. So you know, I mean, who knows? But if it does go down, I, I that's the only thing I'll say. And back to you. There's no doubt about it. They want to award a Stanley Cup in the calendar year 2020. I mean, Gary's final comments there in that press conference when he said, look it, as far as we're concerned, we'll deal with 2021 when we're finished with 2020. That said it all to me right there. He wants a Stanley Cup awarded. He does not want a repeat of 101 years ago. He wants his Stanley Cup awarded, and I think he's looking that he's got till December 31st to get this done, and then he'll worry about 2021. And if they have to chop up that season or whatever, he'll worry about it then. To me, he wants this. He wants Lord Stanley awarded, and uh, this is how he's laid it out on paper. And now we wait and see if they get the two thumbs up green light.
0: Yeah, man, I'm I'm with you, and I'm like I said, I I, I love it. I love how you're talking about it. We're both passionate about the game. I give them credit for at least presenting this thing and and, and giving it a go. Uh, Respectful to the fact that it's it's still, you know, uh, we got a long road to go. And uh, if you read uh, the column in ESPN the other day with Don Fear and the players rep, he says, man, he says, this is just the beginning. There's so much still that has to be voted on. It has to get to the next stages. But how and ever, I hope it does. I hope we're all talking about this, watching it, and just the different angles. And as as, a, as fans, we'll just ride this. And like I said, to me, if this thing happens and as this, this advances, that means everything else hopefully will be getting back to normal as well. And I definitely think you, you, you said it too, man. They've got enough. Um, they could they could trim off uh, games of the you know next year's season to to get us to you know back to normal you know in terms of a regular season and all that stuff. You guys give the guys a, whatever it is a month they'll they'll figure it all out. We won't be in those meetings thankfully, but I know they'll square it away one way or the other. But uh, it's great to be just uh, excited to be talking about it again. It was great yesterday to see. Uh, our fellow colleagues and friends and fans and everybody just starting the buzz again. It was nice. To, it was almost like, you know, hockey just kind of came alive yesterday. If anything else, just to talk about it, it gives us something new to, to kind of, um, you know, speculate, obviously, and, and, and kind of look forward to it. And, again, I think it's healthy because in this whole thing that's been going on, and, and with respect to everybody who's lost someone, who's gotten sick, um, that's, you know, priority, everybody's health and safety. Uh, but there, you know, with anything, any tragedy in life, there needs to be a tomorrow and there needs to be a future. And, um, hopefully this is just a small part of it. It's sports. It's, it's, you know, and relative to the most important things in life, but, uh, for all of us, man, in the simplest forms, I can't wait, man. And I really do. I hope they, um, they come back with this strong and I hope it all comes out and, and we get to have a lot of fun this summer. And, uh, and we, like I said, we start moving forward. It'll be great stuff. So, uh, we'll, we'll put a nail on that today. And we'll just kind of see how this uh, moves forward and next week, whatever the uh, the uh, the next thing that comes out on this, we'll, we'll follow up on it. So um, as far as today's show, uh, Liam, um, obviously we've been doing um, going back in time with stories from you and everything else. There's a couple of things um, I had talked to you prior to that I definitely want to talk about. And the first thing is, is um, you did the other day, you do your This Day in Hockey, um, hockey History, and uh, you touched on uh, the Rocket, his passing. I believe it's 20 years since he passed, and I know you've um, – I'm just going to let you take it away, and maybe just kind of, you know, let's folks know who may have not known, you know, your relationship with him, and obviously, um, you know, what he means to you as a player, uh, uh, not only personally, but also to the game of hockey.
1: Well, yeah, I'll uh, I'll point out to anybody who's, who uh, who does listen to Sticks and Tops if if they haven't had a chance to um, to catch, I I I shot the video, little video, it's actually 25 minutes long, <clears throat> a little longer than uh <laughs> like to keep him about 10 minutes shorter than that, but uh, I can ramble. I can get blabbing. And I did on the rocket yesterday. I had a chance to meet him in 89. And I told some of the stories. I just, I just yesterday on the video, I just tried to put my spin on it, Paulie, And, uh, and I, I think in, in a, in the singular notion of goal scorers in NHL history. And I, I, isolated it yesterday, really on the video and said, look, if you really needed a goal scored, he was a guy, he was the guy you went to. and, I think what Ovechkin has done over a career to me is superlative, and, and that's why I call him as a career in a career perspective. I, I think he's been the most consistent goal scorer in NHL history, uh, given the length of time that he's been dominant. I think it, it surpasses even what Mike Bossy did or what Brett Hall did or, or or Wayne or Mario really over the length of time that he's been a dominant goal scorer. I'm talking one-dimensional here. Wayne's got 92 and 50 and 39 Mario's got the scoring percentage, uh, Mike Gartner's got the consistency, Bobby Hall, Brad Hall, Mike Bossy, as I said, and of course the Rocket are all in that discussion. But I highlighted it yesterday really and just said, look, from a, the singular time, anybody who's played or coached in hockey at any level, there's been times in a game or a series or a tournament when you need a goal, you need one, you need one to tie it up. Or you're hoping to get one late to win it, or you're in overtime, you know, and and you need a goal. And I don't think there's anybody in the history of sport that's worn skates that was able to do that, has consistently and has dramatically, as Morris the Rocket Richard was over his 18-year NHL career. Time and time and time again. He defied the odds, he defied the situation, he defied the severity, the injuries. Everything notwithstanding the area that he played in, things were diagnosed different, whatever. But the moments that he rose to the top to deliver the winning goal or the tying goal or the deciding goal is endless, absolutely endless. And he took those records with him in 1960, and it took decades for them to be broken. Most game-winning goals in the playoffs, 18. Most hat-tricks in the playoffs, 7. 7. Most overtime goals in the playoffs six. Joe Sackett didn't break that till nineteen ninety-six. Thirty-six years after the Rocket played. I mean, his records and his marks stood forever. He was an eight time cup winner, four as a captain. And uh I I I was very happy with the uh with the video I did yesterday. I got some great reaction from it. So I just thought on sticks and taps I'd give it a little shout out again today because um uh, there was one thing I didn't say in the video, and I'll say it here because you don't hear it anymore. But I did initially when the internet got going, and and uh, websites got going, and and email got going, back in the mid to late '90s, and and people started to be able to offer comments. It goes back to what I said right off the start of the show here. You know, you you got the negative element there, just just the idiots. They mostly they don't know anything. They just wake up in the morning with a black cloud over their sorry ass head and say, "What negative thing can I say today?" and you know, how can I make my day more negative? And people used to say, you know, he was he, he was just a goal scorer because of the Second World War, you know. And a Dick Irvin Sr., who coached him uh, from his first year until 1955, coached him longer than anybody, said, uh, must have been a hell of a long war. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. you know, I always loved that line. I always loved that line. And I meant to say it on the video yesterday and I didn't. And, 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 uh, he cited that, uh, you know, Rocket Richard has had his 50 goal season as the war was coming to conclusion. And, you know, it, it was a 50, it was a 50 uh, game season at that time. And Rocket got 50 in his 50th game on, uh, March 18th, 1945. And, and it happens to be my son's birthday. I mentioned that on the video as well. Just another sort of little connection between him and I always, uh, championed, but, uh, Ten years later, in 1955, who's leading the league in goals? You know, it was Rocket Richard. Ten years later, so you know, any anybody who, who who feels that way. And by the way, Rocket tried to enlist six times, as did many others at that time. Well, you think he was the only? You think he was in a league by himself? <laughs> I mean, when the war started, there were seven teams in the NHL. Do you think almost to a man, every one of them wanted to or tried to enlist? But the idiots who, who say that, they don't realize that you know, they're only taking able-bodied men. You couldn't be recovering from a broken bone or an injury or massive lacerations and cuts or or eyesight difficulty or anything. And, and that's why those NHLers were able to play in the late 30s, 39, after the war started on our front. You know, you guys came in, the Americans came in later after Pearl Harbor officially, but... But, I mean, the fact remains is that it ended essentially in 45. You had VE Day in May of 45, and then when the Americans dropped the two bombs and the, and the Japanese surrendered, we knew it, it was officially over. But at that point, you know, uh, you had a six-team NHL with multiple players that had tried to enlist, including Rocket Richard. And they, they just, the NHL just said to these guys, look it, we were going to fold the league in 42. We're not going to. We think the little entertainment that you can provide, please continue to do so for the few people that can attend the games. And attendance was was mediocre at best pretty much everywhere. I mean, you had a few, you know, in the playoffs, a few runs. The Hobbs in 44, the Leafs in 45, Detroit in 43, um, you know, Boston in 41. That was before the Americans in Pearl Harbor. But that scene at Boston Garden when uh, the Bruins beat the Montreal Canadiens, at the end of that season and the Kraut line, Milt Schmidt, Woody Dumart and Bobby Bauer were carried off the ice (laughs) on the shoulders of the Montreal Canadian players because they had all enlisted in the war effort. Wow. And, and, and they were going to be allowed to, uh, to, they were, they had all been granted. um, You know, they, they passed the physical. So they were, they were able to, to, to go to war and, and the Canadian players carried them off anyway. As usual, I start digressing. But I said everything about the Rocket on the video if you do get a chance to watch it. And I, I, I just wanted really to say that quote from Dick Irvin Sr. Because to me, the only thing I would say on, you know, on sticks and taps and just to reiterate it here with us, Polly, is that if you needed a goal scored at any time for whatever reason to win whatever or tie or, or eliminate or do whatever, he's the guy you're tapping on the shoulder. As a coach, there is nobody. There is nobody else you're sending out there because, like Lynn Patrick said in 1952, Game Seven, when the Rockets scored that winner with about three minutes to play against the Bruins, he said even a Mack truck would not have stopped Richard on that play. That came from the Hall of Fame, Lynn Patrick, as uh, probably as 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 articulate and descriptive and accurate a quote as you could make on that man he went five ten, about 185 pounds chiseled out a rock with the heart the size of a lion and uh and a will to win unlike any other so 20 years ago yesterday he passed away and uh we remember him fondly for sure
0: an absolute legend no doubt about it if uh if you're a hockey fan, you better know who Maurice Rocket Richard is and uh, anybody out there who's got young kids, you better teach him. <laughs> He's just an icon as far as the game is concerned. Liam, real quick on this. Uh you you've mentioned you had the chance to meet him. I know, you know, you've met so many uh incredible, you know, hockey players throughout your your life and and your career doing this and everything else. What what was just let me know when, when did you get to speak to him first, like have a conversation? And if you can just Tell me what kind of a guy he was at the time that you you were able to have like a lengthy conversation with him or, or, or what was the you know how did you go about meeting him and and what did you take from that and, and more than anything, if you can, let us know what kind of a person he was you know in in that kind of um, a setting
1: he was intense.
0: And 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 that's the uh the, the
1: everybody and their brother who has met them. Many people anyway have, have written stories and have written blogs. I've read a bunch and, and they're all good. Every everybody's encountered. People have sent me their pictures having met them and everything like that. I, I was part owner of a bar in Ottawa in the late 80s and early nineties called the Original Six. And and um it was a hockey bar, obviously, through and through. We were the second bar in Ottawa, the region of Ottawa Carlton have a satellite dish in nineteen eighty eight. There was only one other place. That had a satellite dish in Ottawa in 1988, and that was the Prescott Hotel. We were the second spot. And Gordy Howe and his wife, Colleen, uh, well, Colleen mostly wrote a book called "After the Applause," and and it was uh, it was a book written on about 15 guys, 15 or 20 guys, fairly fairly significant names in the NHL and what they were doing after hockey. And uh, she set up a cross Canada tour, and and with her for her and Gordy. To promote the book and then in different parts of the country she would solicit other people to come and and when they got into eastern Canada she asked Rocket Richard and his wife and Gump Worsley and his wife to uh to attend uh, some of the uh promotional um moments and and uh when they came to Ottawa they heard about my place and they heard about me so I I got a call from the publicist saying that uh the Howes and the Richard's would like to come to your bar and uh and meet you and do the, uh, do the event at your bar. I mean, you want to talk about Pumped. That's probably, I'm not, I swear to God, it's one of the top, proudest moments of my entire life. And they, they phoned me in the summer, late summer of 89, uh, and we set it up for November of 89. And we had a tiny little bar. It was only 106 seats, but, uh, you know, we had over, well over 200 people in there that day. And the rocket came in. I told the story on the video. I can see it in my mind. If I close my eyes clear as day, is coming through the crowd. <laughs> nobody knew, nobody was stopping him. He's just coming through the crowd looking for anybody official, I guess. So I stepped up and, and introduced myself as one of the owners and and running the event and everything. And, and his first words out of his mouth was, uh, I need a place for my wife to sit down. And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> We've got an area up here for you guys. And, and, uh, he said, okay, I'll go tell the guys. I said, I'll get the guys. He said, well, I'm going to get my wife. I said, okay, no, no problem. No problem. And he went and got his wife and, and, uh, and then they all came in. Eddie Shaq was with them too. He didn't have his wife with him. He was absolutely out of control. He was just hammering back the pints. And, uh, it was, it was, it was pretty, he caused a bit of a disturbance over at, at, at a convenience store right beside us there. I had to go over and get him out of there. But, um, that's another story, another story. anyway <laughs> yeah oh geez Eddie Shaq any anyways uh uh Rocket was there and and live tv was in the house and they did an interview with Gordy Howe and and they were talking about Gordy Howe about making a comeback in 1989 facetiously of course but Rocket stood up and yelled hey what about my comeback I, I'd been talking to him for 15 minutes at that point I was talking to him about everything but you know what it was amazing how much he didn't remember you know like I was talking to him about his first goal and his, and his 500th goal. He remembered that, but there were other things, you know, like the goal I just described to you against Boston. He has virtually no memory of it. None, none. He was so badly concussed that night. He shouldn't have been on a pair of skates for months, but, but he went back out and scored that goal, and, and uh, he doesn't really remember it, but he remembers, he remembered a lot of other things. I'll never forget him telling me that when I told him, I said that, that rivalry with Detroit and you and Gordy said, no, not even close to what we had with Toronto not even close. Wow. Said so hated the Leafs with a passion, with a passion. I wanted to run every one of them over. <laughs> and and if 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 you look at uh, some of the stats in some of those games in the late 40s and early 50s, the brawling <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. It was it was like really, it was like it was like 30 guys waiting at, at a at, for a horse race for the gate to open so they could charge out of their dressing rooms the national anthem all that did was delay the inevitable by about three minutes and then it was on real life and, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah man i'm telling you no it was it was surreal uh to sit with him and uh and and talk to him like i did and uh um you know when when he um when he died in uh, 20 years ago yesterday and the wake was a few days later, my mom and I went down to it and two of her sisters were living in Montreal and we all went together. So I, I use that story to speak to his cultural impact. I I wanted to stay in, I guess, you know, to use the expression today, I wanted to kind of stay in my lane, you know, I didn't want to, be that guy that says, I'm going to tell you what it was like in the 50s and uh, the revolution and, and what he meant to French Canada in 19, you know, from 45 to 55 or something. Oh, you know, I wasn't there. I, I can read too, you know, but I, I wanted, I felt what I did yesterday on the video. I really was happy with it because I tried to channel personal experiences, including the ovation, March 11, 96, the final game of the forum. Uh, one of the greatest sports building of all time, and you know, Paul, you're right there. I mean, MSG takes a backseat to no sports building, and uh, but the Montreal Forum, from a hockey perspective, takes a backseat to no hockey building, and and that's that's just beyond you know beyond debate. And that night, that building closed for the final time, and I was there, and that ovation for the Rocket will go down in history as one of the most emotional outpouring of admiration and love for a human being from the sports world that you could possibly ever have. And, uh, and, 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 and like Dick Irvin says, this is 36 years after he played a game of any meaning. It's incredible, incredible to think of it. So it was an unbelievable, uh, um, moment to, uh, to meet him. But, uh, I really enjoyed uh, reminiscing about it on that video yesterday and, uh, enjoyed here having a few minutes to talk about it in sticks and taps, even though I went over a little bit of the same stuff, but, uh, but it's it's it was a real honor, man, to uh, to to talk about him. Even you know something else, Paulie. I'll tell you really quickly. Sure, just we before time, we did bro, the show, literally, going, man. keep it going. Literally, <laughs> literally, just before we did the show, and I don't think I've ever really talked to you about growing up, who your favorite player of all time was. But literally, just before you and I kicked in when I when when you said you were good to go, and I responded to you ten four. I'll be with, I'll be just a couple minutes. Yeah. I was on the phone with Yvonne Cornoyer. Get out. My favorite player of all time. I was talking to Yvonne just before we did the show. And I'm talking to him about team Canada 72, because in two years it's the 50th anniversary. So I wanted to have a conversation with him, get, get some idea of where things are going since Pat Stapleton passed away. Cause he was kind of heading up the alumni. And, and, uh, so I was chatting with Yvonne, you know, and Yvonne Cornoyer played right wing and shot left. Rocket Richard played right wing and shot left. And, uh, You know, Rocket Richard scored 544 goals. Yvonne Cornway scored 428. That's a lot of goals and a lot of Stanley Cups. 18 Stanley Cups between the two men. And they are the only two men in NHL history, Rocket Richard and Yvonne Cornway, to win the Stanley Cup every year they wore the C. That's incredible.
0: That's just, I mean, what a life, man. (laughs) I mean, they earned it. There's no doubt about it. A lot of blood, sweat, and tears, you know for, for yep. anything like that. But, man, that's just uh, – that's incredible. Hey, we got to do – because, you know, you <laughs> – you know, getting to know you and everybody does know you and everybody listening here and, and, and who watches you and, and a fan of yours for years, to hear you say that uh, Yvonne is your favorite hockey player, I need a good half hour to an hour to find out why. We're not going to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would love to do that with you uh, in a future episode, and we got to break that down because yeah. um, I'd yeah. love to know. Don't it don't won't get- t- it won't
1: take that long. It won't take that yeah. long. All right. It's, well, I'm um,
0: just like I said, if, if, short story. If, if, but
1: we'll we'll save it. We'll save it.
0: Yeah. No. We we'll definitely have to do it. No. Absolutely. Well, look, man. Um, look, the rocket is just uh, he's an enigma, and you know you've educated me on him more than anybody could over the course of the years that I've known you. And, uh, you know, as a hockey fan, like I said, you have to respect, um, you know, what he did, what he accomplished. And, you know, a guy like me, uh, obviously one of the main reasons I love connecting with you is because I appreciate the history of the game. And, you know, being a kid, like I said, who grew up in the 70s and then really became, you know, uh, like I said, you you think back how – When when you start, remember, when you start getting into hockey, you know. So, you know, it was 9, 10, 11 for me as most kids. And then, you know, the 80s for me into my teenage years and just it it grows. And if you think of, you know, the Islanders here, and I was a Ranger fan, but the Islanders growing here. And then the Edmonton and then another team that we're going to talk about real quick here before we wrap up the show today uh, into the 90s and then through to the, you know. Uh, the modern game that it is today. I can say number one, I've been blessed to to be on that ride with all these amazing players and, and to see the game and then but also at the same time be able to look back and see what those players in the 30s, 40s, f- definitely the 50s and 60s, uh, the old time hockey days in the 70's, which are incredible. And, and that's what's the beauty about the history of the NHL and the game. And um, I'm, I'm blessed and lucky to be able to do this with you every week, man, because uh, you know, you take us to school and I definitely want to talk about Rocket today because I know how much he means to you. And uh, like I said, I, listening to you say that Yvonne's your favorite player, we got we to gotta narrow that down. So great stuff. And anybody <laughs> who hasn't seen it yet, definitely look up Liam on LinkedIn, follow his Twitter account, you get the links and uh, definitely check out that video uh, on the Rocket and all of Liam's This Day in Hockey uh, videos, they're great stuff. So, Liam, real quick, man, um, and, and we got some extra time here. I know when we talked about it, I got to jet out of here, but uh, I want to give this a little bit of time, have some fun, and we'll get to our Irish song. And, and for all of you uh, faithful followers, it's it's not a Clancy Brothers song today, so stick around. <laughs> stick around for the surprise. <laughs> That's right. All right? That's right. <laughs> but another anniversary this week was the 30 year anniversary of the uh, 1989 Calgary Flames Stanley Cup Championship. I'm sure anybody who's on social media. Listening to this shows, I'm sure I've seen the the Twitter posts and the media. Uh, they had all the uh, the alumni, the, the, all the teammates passing around this cup and, and clips, and it was just yeah. fantastic. And you know, for me, again, just the reason I was bringing up the '80s and stuff, um, that was just an amazing decade because, like I said, you 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 had the Canadians hand over the the baton to the Islanders, and then the Islanders handed over the baton to the Edmonton, and Edmonton was on this run where. They were never ever going to lose again. It was they were going to probably win like eight or nine cups. I mean, that's just how when they slayed the island, islander, islander dynasty, or I mean, it was just forget it. You know, it looked like it was lights out. And then here you go, 1989. Uh, the Oilers get beat by the Wayne Gretzky and the Kings there, and sure enough, um, they um, you know the Calgary Flames get an opportunity here and they win the Stanley Cup. And the reason I wanted to touch on it today and seeing that clip yesterday was for me as a kid seeing that, that old lineup from that team and all those names that came back, starting with Lanny McDonald, you know, great big personality, and then just the rest of them, Theo Fleury and, and Dougie Gilmore, and and it just goes to Al McInnes, and it goes on and on and on. And uh, I just wanted to get your take on, on that year, that season, and, and the Flames winning that, and, and, you know, you being a big Gretzky guy and everything else and um, them, them kind of uh, breaking things up there in 89, just just your take on on that team and that anniversary
1: well it was uh <clears throat> obviously we, it, it's the only cup that calgary's won so so it, it'll at least a point to this date and and it'll be a um it, it'll be a benchmark for them for all time because of the makeup of that team and there's quite a few of them that have stayed in calgary after the season ended and and or i should say after their careers ended and a number of them have have become uh friends of mine uh, notably Dougie Gilmore, uh, for sure. Gary Roberts to a little bit of a lesser degree. Theo Fleury, I've done quite a few gigs with, Jamie McCowan. I've done some gigs with. I've done a tiny little bit with Lanny McDonald's. But, you know, they're full measure for it, Paulie. They were they were the points leader that year in 88-89. They were number one. Montreal Canadiens were number two, 117, 115 points. I mean, they were right there. They were neck and neck, so it was perfect, really, that they ended up in the finals. And and uh, an opportunity for Calgary to reverse the fortune from three years earlier when the Habs beat them in the final in 86. And really Calgary's, um, you know, Calgary's first round matchup was, was, I mean, it was off the charts, right, against the Vancouver Canucks. And it took an overtime goal in game seven by, I uh, believe it was uh, Joel Otto, if I'm not mistaken, with just the dying seconds of the first overtime to uh, to advance them where they kind of, really had their way with both Chicago and Los Angeles to get into that final against the Habs who were coming up uh, after a, you know, a number of uh, tough series, especially against the Flyers. And they were reversing what happened to them in 87 when the Flyers beat them. And then here's Montreal beating Philly and they're back in the finals. And that series uh, I remember because the Habs had a two game to one lead. You know, Ryan Walter scored in double overtime. A couple days before my birthday, I was, the original six I was just talking about, well, it was later that year when Rocket and the guys came in. I remember, sir, I was working the bar that night when Ryan Walter scored. We were packed. And uh, I just said, oh boy, here we go. Like, I just, with Patrick Waugh and uh, the makeup of the team, I, I didn't think we were going to lose the series. But you got to give the Flames credit. They came back and won three straight games and, and, uh, to win it, including on four of Mice, which is only the second time the Stanley Cup's ever gone to a visiting team. On the forum, ice the first one being your own New York Rangers, Polly, in uh, 1928, and they did uh, not beat the Canadians.
0: 28. <laughs> yeah, you remember par- that? I'll never forget the
1: parade. <laughs> <laughs> the parade was huge. The parade was huge. Sure, the uh, the bars in New York were fine, and uh, you know they they beat the team called the Montreal Maroons in the Stanley Cup final in 1928. So people get that stat sometimes mixed up. They say, oh, it's the only time. As a visiting team has won a Stanley Cup on four Forum Ice. Well, against the Canadians, yes, but not overall because the Rangers beat the Maroons in 28. But anyway, small point. Fact is, is that they won it. And, you know, most people, a lot of people erroneously think Lanny McDonald got the cup winning goal. He did not. Doug Gilmore technically got the cup winner. Lanny's goal was monstrous. But you know something? Lanny was 35. He retired right after the series. That's the only playoff goal he scored that year. He wow. didn't score another one. The only one he gets is in Game 6 of the Finals. Basically helps Calgary win the Stanley Cup. So, you know, I'm a Hab fan, but you you got to look back. And and part of part of having success and great history and great rivalries or great moments is you have to take some losses in there. You know, it makes the wins all the sweeter. And, and you know, I mean, uh, when the Habs... Lost to the finals in Detroit. They, I mean, they lost to Detroit in 52, 54, and 55 to Detroit. So you don't think that 56 Stanley Cup final meant a lot to the Montreal Canadiens? You're damn right it did. Yeah. You damn right it did. And and uh, when you get a chance to do that, and you got the Philadelphia Flyers as two-time defending Cup champions in 74 and 75, and the Habs sweep them in 76. I mean, you know, I I told you I was just talking to Yvonne Cornaway before we did the show here. Yep. You know how we finished the conversation? He was saying that he did a hit on uh, French TV there last week, and they, they, were, they had shown the video on French TV or the game, game four of the 76 finals. And He was just saying how much he really enjoyed it. He, he watched the whole game, and they had him on after to talk about it. He was the captain of the Habs at the time, obviously, accepting the Stanley Cup from Clarence Campbell. And I know this. I know to a man what winning that meant for Montreal in 76. And I know from every Calgary Flame that I've talked to, what winning in 89 meant to them. It, it was everything. I mean, and you had New York's own Joe Mullen was the uh, scoring leader on that team. They had 50 goal scorers. I mean, Joe Mullen and Joe Newndike both scored 50 that year. Newendike was amazing. Neuendijk was unbelievable. Hacken Lube was unbelievable. Dougie Gilmore in the playoffs was unbelievable. Go down the line. Al McInnes, who won the cons might, the guy was all world. He was all world. He led, he led the flames in points in the playoffs, Pauly. He, he, nobody was close to him. Nobody on the Flames was close to him. He had 31 points. Al McKinnis, defenseman. Nobody on the Flames was close to him. Joe Mullins, the next guy with 24. I mean, they, they were, it was destiny. They, they were destined to win. And they had Mike Vernon. They, they were set. They were deep. They were big. They were physical. If you wanted to brawl them, they were good to go. They had like eight, nine guys with over 100 minutes in penalties that year. I think they had four over 200 minutes, including Tim Hunter. And and uh, you know even Roberts himself, Joel Otto, go down the line like they played any way you wanted. They had the scoring, they had the defense, they had the goaltending, they had the size, and they were just a bigger, better version of the of the '89 Habs. And and that's why they beat them. The better team won for sure. And and uh, good on him. I, I, I think it's great. And what they did on Twitter the other day was absolutely <laughs> priceless. That was fantastic. All the guys passed. I love seeing Bearcat in there, the trainer, Bearcat Murray. He's such a legendary figure in Calgary. And to have him part of that video I thought was really, really cool. So so good on him. You know, it was a bitter pill to swallow at the time. Uh, culminated really the last real successful decade in Montreal Canadian history. I mean, they had uh, four trips to the semis and uh, uh, two finals and a cup. And, um, you know, it, it culminated an end of a hell of a run going back really to the 1930s. It's about a 60-year run there, unprecedented really almost in sport. But um, at, having said that, uh, Calgary were full measure for it. And right what you said off the top was a very solid point. I mean, there were bridesmaids to the Oilers, so many years and to finally not have Wayne at Edmonton I mean Paul Coffey had gone first and then Wayne and yeah we know Edmonton got that measure of revenge the next year coming back and winning a cup themselves in 90 yep. mm-hmm. but um you know Billy Ranford stood on his head and he got the con smite that year and really that whole series changed in game one that when Klima scored in triple one. overtime in game one yeah yeah Who, that you know
0: cup was just it, mark winning that it, with was. Those guys. it was incredible
1: exactly if boston win game game one we may have a different series but uh who knows having said that 89 flames great memory great look back great anniversary and uh and and and, and good on them that's um actually i guess the 31st anniversary so it wouldn't be right on the number the 30th would have been last year yeah. but uh it still was uh it was pretty cool what they did on twitter i guess that's what prompted you to uh take a little walk down memory lane yourself there but uh very, very solid team, man. Solid defense. I mean, Brad McCrimmon, you know, was on that. Dana Let's go down the about, line. Um, hey.
0: What about Coach Crisp uh, as far as him, you know, winning that year with that yeah. squad? And then um, you, you know, I've always loved Terry. Uh, you, 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 have you gotten to meet Terry at all through the years? Or just your take on yeah. him coaching that squad and, and his, you know, his little part in the NHL here?
1: Oh yeah, well I met Terry. Uh, He's from the Perry Sound area. Him and Bobby Orr are best of friends, and 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 Terry, Terry and I actually uh, we we co-emceed Bobby's event one summer, and there was another summer where we split doing the auction together. And you know, here's a guy who was a finalist uh, three years in a row at St. Louis, and and goes ends up going to Philadelphia, and and uh, really he was he was their version of Bob Gainey. You know, he was never Bob Gainey, but he was their version of it, and. And uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't caught up in all the brawling and the fighting. That wasn't his game. But, man, that guy could, that guy could defend. I mean, before, you know, Ganey really got going with the Habs, Terry Crisp was, was kind of performing that role for the Philadelphia Flyers. And he was outstanding. And you think of him coming into the Calgary uh, Flames as a coach. I mean, they had Badger Bob Johnson, who, who took them to the finals in 86. And it's kind of ironic, you know, he let Badger Bob go. He goes to Pittsburgh. Helps them win a cup and then gets stricken with cancer as we know and passes away. And the guy's a University of Wisconsin legend. And and Terry Chris steps into those shoes and and uh, and and ends up uh, becoming the cup winner in in Calgary. And of course, Badger Bob at least did get a chance to hoist Lord Stanley uh, after an outstanding uh, collegiate career. So. Um, much respect, obviously always, but Terry Crisp, I did get to meet, uh, several times. I've interviewed him before. He's, he's exactly like he sounds on TV or radio. He's a bundle of energy. (laughs) he has got a great memory. He loves reminiscing and, uh, he's as proud of that 89 team as a coach as he is of those 74 and 75 flyers as a player. He really is. And he's just, um, got an incredibly well-documented substantial history in the national hockey league as a player and a coach and an analyst and, uh, and everything else going back years. And I got, I got a lot of respect for him. I, I consider him an acquaintance. Definitely. I just don't get to see him much anymore, but, uh, he's, he's, he's doing, you know, TV for national now for the Preds and, and God willing, uh, some point in time, again, you know, I'll get a chance to hoist a pint with him, but I certainly did in Perry sound a few times. And, and I know he enjoyed uh, my company because um, he 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 respects what I do and what I know, and I certainly do him as well. Uh, he's just a prince of a man, as I like to say, and yeah, much respect, definitely.
0: Well said, man. And and my probably two of my favorite TV, uh, and they were doing radio together for years before they just recently moved uh, or they, they flipped it back one or the other, but the great Pete Weber. And Terry Chris doing oh, the prior yeah. Predator games. I mean, you, you couldn't yeah. ask for a better combination. I've had the pleasure of obviously having Pete on my shows throughout the years. And, and he's he's great like you, too, in terms of, like, history and everything else. He's, and he's such a wit and a whiz. And, and those are just two super personalities off the ice or off the air, you know. And then to hear them uh, talk games is just uh, – Fantastic. The only other guy that I, I love uh, a little more too is, is Espo doing the lightning stuff over the years too. <laughs> Fantastic, man. Oh
2: man! Some oh, great skirt,
0: uh, that's clips, man. that's
1: so that's so bad that it's good.
0: Yep.
1: It's so bad. It should be required. It should be required listening or viewing. I'm not sure if they've got him on TV or if he's just doing radio. I'm not sure with. But some of the clips from last year or in the last year to two that he's done. <laughs> i love the guy but oh my god oh my god it's bad it is it is so bad it's good though but it's uh it's funny as hell you know it's 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 funny as hell and uh you know as far as i'm concerned he played the greatest 20 minutes of hockey of any man in history in a third period game 872 and you want to talk about a will to win he wasn't going to let canada lose and and uh i, I got i got all day for him and and when i was on national tv here in canada in the year 2000, on November the 10th, on TSN, with Phil Esposito and Paul Henderson. And Paul Henderson is the one who uttered that statement. And he said, uh, he said, this man here, and he pointed at Phil, played the greatest 20 minutes of hockey that's ever been played in the history of the sport. And Phil had no idea that Paul was going to say that. And he was so humbled by it, and so taken by it, he, he could barely barely utter you know, a response. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, like the hair in the back of my neck is going up even telling you that. So, I, you know, Phil, as a player, is well documented as an analyst. <laughs> or or and the GM, GM of the New know. York
0: Rangers. Well, listen. <laughs> Not a great hey, he, he
1: brought Gila for back. What? He brought Gila for back.
0: Oh, and, oh, you know, yeah. he, he put it on the line yeah. with Marcel Dion. Yeah. You Michel know? Bergeron behind the bench. Oh, yeah. Happy days, buddy. Oh, Bring yeah. all those nightmare memories back. <laughs> I, know, I know. Not know. good memories. They were nostalgic. Memories. They were fun. But I'll never forget, uh, Dion was the quote-unquote he was brought in because he was a power play specialist. He was... <laughs> And I mean, come on, you know we could, and I laugh at that only because where Marcel's age was at the time. That's all, uh, you know. It was just so funny, but you know, I love Phil through and through. But man, when he was GM of the Rangers, man, oh, that was a tough, tough yeah. time, man, tough time. But uh, all yeah. the respect in the world for Phil. I, I, you know, I just love him. Dave Mishkin is the guy he'd been doing radio with, uh, with the Lightning over the years, and uh, I just remember going <laughs> back when the the Lightning won the the Stanley Cup Finals there back in you know. 2000s uh, and stuff, and I'll never forget some of the broadcasts, because Michigan, if you know Dave, he's he's one of the most, you know, energetic uh, on-air broadcasters, right, he really gets into the goal scoring and everything else, it's, he's got his own unique style, and then, and Phil would just, I could just picture Phil with like a, a shot glass, he's, he's, he's down in something, one of his favorite, you know, his beverages there, and you know he's doing it on-air or whatever, and he would just have these, you know, can you believe that guy just called that bell? you know what I'm saying, <laughs> Oh, I know just calling it like it is hilarious, but great stuff, man. Great memories. And, uh, you know, thanks for, uh, you know, touching on the, uh, on the flames there too, man. Like I said, for me, it's, uh, you know, those, like I said, those are my teenage years. So those are the, um, those are just great years. All those, those final runs and everything. And it was different. We didn't have the social media like we have today and the the advantages. So it was, you know, those were focused things. And I do apologize for skipping the 86 Canadians there on my introduction to uh, the flames and, and, and the oil. That's older, quite all right, right so pal. I apologize. No worries, man. Uh, <laughs> man. Yeah. No. Nope. Uh, great stuff. And uh, yeah, man. The, the like, Hobs
1: have lots to fall back on, right? <laughs> <laughs> they sure do, man.
0: No doubt about it. All right. Great stuff, man. Uh, uh You know, hockey's hopefully coming back here in a couple months. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep doing this, obviously, and having some fun. And, We've got a couple things to talk to down the road uh, until the puck does drop. So, anyway, let's wrap up the show today, Liam, as we do always with uh, a note to an Irish uh, classic song. And, again, we have a surprise for everybody today. It is not the Clancy Brothers. We love them so. (laughs) They've given us uh, just tons of great music. But, um, you know, Liam, why don't you take it away here and, and tell us where we're going with today's Irish heritage classic song on Sticks and Taps.
1: Well, to finish, Pauly, as you say, we'll go out on our Irish tune, and we teed it up for three weeks that uh, we would uh, say for now a, uh, a goodbye to the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Macomb. They served us well, and they will again, but we're going to step away probably um, if you're going from the frying pan into the fire in terms of an electric Irish tune um, sung by an Irishman in this case, and, and uh, this would be Fairy Tale of New York, which is regarded... I mean, if you look at the sales and the notoriety it has gained since its initial release in 1987, it was a song done by the Pogues, and the Pogues are essentially Shane McGowan. Let's let's call it what it is. There are different components and and uh, obviously musicians and people that came and went, but for all intent and purpose, and I'm no Pogues expert, but I think I feel safe in saying that. And there are different re- different stories behind what people say are the origin of the song. Shane himself says that the band manager, none other than Elvis Costello himself, um, challenged the band in the mid-1980s to come up with a Christmas tune. And at that point, the story takes various forks in the road. So depending on which version you believe a song was constructed, Uh, lyrics and music and whatnot, and different versions and storylines that was largely centered around a couple in New York of Irish extraction and the trials and tribulations sung through the song, uh, largely through the man's eyes, although the song was written as a duet. However, the version we're playing today is what I think, and I think to give you an analogy, Paulie, you as a musician, whether you may not agree with this, but there's a great tune, it was a huge hit, Back in the day, called "Blinded by the Light," which, uh, um, if I'm not mistaken, was written by by Bruce Springsteen. Yes, it was. And and and, and Manbury, went okay. to a hit with with Manfred Mann. Right? Yeah. <laughs> is is really the the group that that took it to to its lofty heights. And Bruce does a version of it as well. And I'm a Springsteen fanatic, but I rather enjoy the Manfred Mann version better than Bruce's. As much as I love just everything that Bruce does. Well, in this case here, Christy Moore took this song on. And, and the back story is that he sat with Shane McGowan. You'll hear Christy at the start of this reference meeting a man in Tipperary and learning the song. Well, the man he met in Tipperary was Shane McGowan. And it was Shane who sang it for him first and sang it for him five times and ten times and fifteen times till, till Christy got the words. And Christy Moore was at one time regarded as the number one musician in Ireland. He he did have that distinction at one time. He's a uh, Newbridge, County of Kildare boy, man, born and raised. And uh, and, and uh, I tell you what, he is a beauty. And he does a version of this song. Now, it should be noted, Polly, that there are a couple of instances of language, a little bit here, that um, you probably couldn't get away with it if you were taping it in 2020 but given this is a podcast and we like to be the real thing you're going to hear it in its entirety and uh it's nothing i mean look it's just a word or two so you'll have to put your you know your blinders on or put your earmuffs on if they're really you know uh sensitive and uh you know pour yourself another shirley temple and try not to cry but other than that It's it's, it's a beautiful song sung by an incredible man doing a version of a song that was released by the Pogues in 87 that still to this day, every Christmas, does so well, it still makes the top 15, top 15, top 20 in the UK, all over the British Isles, the Republic of Ireland, and in fact, many, many parts of the world in and around Christmas time. It is a Christmas tune, but it definitely isn't Bing Crosby singing White Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) so buckle up sit down and listen to uh an incredible version of a fairy tale of of new york and uh it is absolutely electric
0: absolutely looking forward to it it is and this performance is just magical uh you know the the style of of um irish folk music uh and it in its simplicity is a crooner with an acoustic guitar And this is just a a fantastic uh, song. Uh, It's a great journey of uh, uh, melody lines. And again, Christy Moore is just one of the the best to to perform this. And this is just a great recording. And, uh, you know, I hadn't heard it in a while. And when you brought this up today, just listened to a little bit. I was like, oh, just because it just takes you there. And especially guys like me and you, if you're raised Irish, you know, this this hits home with the sound and the melody, you know, the accent, the music, everything. And again, like I said, the simplest form. I grew up with my uncles. Uh, most of them just singing solo, ju- just a cappella. And then, you know, most of us, like I said, I've had uncles. Um, Uncle Christy, he's a ve- been a very popular crooner up in, uh, in New England. Uh, and I grew up watching him going into Irish pubs and, and watching him, just him and his guitar and him singing. And uh, my cousin John does it now over in, in Dublin as well, too. He's fantastic at it. And again, it's just the simplest form of a, a crooner and an acoustic guitar, and this is a great example for it. So, uh, great song to finish up uh, this show on as we move on. Liam, uh, again, let's uh, toast Rockets' memory there, and uh, big cheers to the uh, the Calgary Flames and, and their anniversary as well. And, uh, again, uh, keep the birthday week going for yourself, man. And to everybody out there still, uh, stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane. And, again, we can't thank you enough uh, for listening to Sticks and Taps. So, go on, Liam.
2: Say goodbye to the folks.
1: All right, everybody. Thank you, Polly, And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll catch you next week. Get eight.
2: One night, maybe 10 or 20 or 30 years ago, I can never remember which, but I heard a man from Tipperary singing this song. And I asked him to sing it again and again and again until I had the words. And then I started singing it myself. It was Christmas Eve, babe. In the drunk tank. An old man said Son I won't see another one And then he sang a song The rare old mountain dew I turned my eyes away And thought about you Got on the lucky one Came in at a to one I've got a feeling This year's for me and you Happy Christmas How oh, I love you baby There's gonna be good times But when all our dreams come true Got cars big as bars, they got rivers of gold. But the wind blows right through you. It's no place for the old. When I first took you a hand on a cold Christmas Eve Oh, told you that Broadway was waiting for me You were handsome and pretty, queen of New York City When the band finished playing, the crowd howled for more Sinatra was singing, and all the crowd there were swinging Oh, we kissed on the corner, and we danced round the floor And the boys from the NYPD choir were singing Galway Bay The bells were ringing out On Christmas Day I could have been someone And so could anyone I took my dreams from you When I first met you I kept them with me, babe And I put them with my own Can't make it all alone I've built my dreams around you you're a bum, you're a punk, you're an owl who on junk, laying there under the rib, nearly dead in the bed. Yes, come back, you maggot, you cheap, lousy faggot, and be Christmas, me ass, oh, my brother be dead. And the boys from the NYPD choir were singing Galway Bay, and the bells were ringing out. On Christmas Day, oh, I love you, baby. I've got a feeling this year's for me and you. Happy Christmas. How oh, I love you, baby. There's gonna be good times when all our dreams come true. So happy Christmas. I love you, baby. said, Shane McGown from Pocan in the County Tipperary, one grand Friday morning. And I, I took him by the hand and I, I gazed into his Tipperary eyes and I, I kissed him on the lips and I said, Hey, Shane, I love you too, baby. Okay. <laughs>